SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 61 with guest David DeWitt. Our guest today is Dr. David DeWitt. David's originally from the University of Wisconsin, uh, where he was a faculty member from 1976 to 2008. He's best known as a technical fellow from 2008 and Microsoft and manages the Jim Gray Systems Lab. And so, welcome, David. Uh, well, thank you for having me. And what I would get, I get everyone to do first up is just tell me how how do you come to be involved in SQL Server and and in your current role? Uh, what led to this? Uh, so it's a, a long, pretty complicated story. Uh, um, soon after I joined the University of Wisconsin, I switched from working in computer architecture to databases and mm-hmm. uh, did some early work on parallel database systems uh, in the late '70s and early '80s and. Um, at that some some point in the early eighties i um uh we i should say the department uh, recruited a student from forestry a guy named peter Sparrow. um yep. and peter was had come to wisconsin sort of uh uh on a lark um the driving across the country trying to figure out where he actually wanted to spend a couple of years and get a a degree in forestry and he got involved and he took a relational database class from our department and he got very very interested in relational database systems, went on to DEC, uh, worked at DEC for a number of years in RDB and then was recruited by Microsoft um, uh, when Microsoft decided to get seriously into the database business. Uh, so he's one of the first hires. And Peter uh, and I remained in contact for many years and um, some number of years ago, Peter decided that uh, uh, Microsoft should, uh, in some sense, give back to the university because we trained not only Peter, but we trained dozens and dozens of uh, graduate students who then went on to uh, have uh, pretty successful careers at Microsoft. And there, there are a lot, there are a lot of them. Gutz Graffi, who uh, was one of the optimizer experts in SQL Server 7.0, Mike's willing. So there are a lar- large number of students who went to Microsoft. And Peter said we should start a lab there. We should fund some uh, DeWitt to hire some uh, people and fund some graduate students and do a collaborative venture between Microsoft um, and the university. And mm. we tried we tried doing this uh uh, once, maybe maybe eight nine years ago, but never managed to get the logistics worked out. The second time we tried it, yeah. um, got the logistics worked out, and um, we started this. I retired from the university and started this app for Microsoft. So um, mm. a lot of people are surprised. Not part of the research program, Microsoft Research, um, but really we're a small research and advanced developments uh, group inside yep. Microsoft. Inside, excuse me, inside the SQL Server group of Microsoft. Yeah. Now, look, I, I love to see that sort of collaborative arrangement. Uh, I must have been I'm old enough that I grew up through the heydays of uh, working at HP in, um, uh, in the 1980s and uh, just the tail end of the time when uh, both Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard were there. And uh, it was just the just after they'd sort of retired and uh, John Young was running the company. But one of the things that most impressed me there at the time was the close association between uh, the university there being uh, Stanford there, but the close association between the company and uh, and the and the university. And they seem to have arrangements at the time where that's right. If I was doing PhD study, you could do that. Uh, you could be working in HP Systems Lab, but the thing is you could be doing that in the university and conversely it gave opportunities for the university. And it's just something I don't see here in Australia much at all. Well, it's actually, you know, it's actually pretty rare in the United States too. It, and it's gotten, 
I'd say somewhat tougher because of uh, uh, the uh, extraordinary interest in owning uh, intellectual property IP these days, yeah. um, both on the part of companies and on the part of universities. Uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison has a very large um, patent portfolio, um, irradiation mm. of, of putting vitamin D in milk by irradiation patented here, the blood yeah. thinner, warfarin patented here. And it really took the head of the university and Bill Gates to actually um, work through their lawyers together to come up with an intellectual property sharing arrangement that suits mm. both parties. And uh, yeah. Uh, but it is, a, you know, the IP makes it a challenge, um, and mm. um, but we do it. We have a, a you know, a, a facility which houses both graduate students and, and full-time Microsoft employees. Um, the graduate students um, aren't interns; they're actually normal graduate students, not not paid by Microsoft, but through a grant from Microsoft University. Um, the grad students work with the staff. The staff. Uh, um, and graduate students um, frequently do projects together. They get a chance, the grad students get a chance to do their projects inside SQL Server source mm -hmm. code. Um, and we've already turned some of those ideas over into products that um, we will ship as part of uh, SQL 14. So, yeah. Um, anyway, it's. I, I think that, that's one of the wonderful aspects the fact that you get access to the right source to be able to, to make uh, serious contributions. Right. And I think it's also eye-opening to the students. A lot of the students have done, uh, pre in previous generations, have done their work inside either, um, you know, MySQL or Postgres. And I, I mm. think it's really eye-opening for the students to see the difference between an open-source system and a system as sophisticated as SQL Server and as big as SQL Server. You know, yeah. um, and. Uh, uh, it's you know it's one thing to have an idea and put it into MySQL. It's another thing to have an idea and put it into a product that's been honed and tuned by you know very high quality engineers for years and years. And there's mm. a lot inside. And then maybe there's too much inside, but um, it's it's been a very good experience for the graduate students. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the things I certainly remember with HP at the time. People always used to talk about the products being sort of almost over-engineered. And, I mean, it was uh, no uh, short, uh, small thing to say that because I remember in particular like one of the large disk drives that we shipped at the time. It was a, a 7935, and it, it was a work of art. Uh, and the and what was interesting is just the number of PhD theses uh, that had been created. And, in fact, one who had done uh, his complete dissertation in around the plastics design for the, uh, the huh. disk drive. It was just astonishing yeah. to look at the work that went into designing that. So, yeah, the the products that came out were, were certainly very sophisticated. And so, and so I suppose in terms of um, SQL Server, what's your feeling about where it's sitting uh, in the market and where it's heading just in general? Well, you know, I think, um, I guess, you know, there are a couple of things I'd say. We, you know, we are by far, by far and away the market leader in terms of seats at this point um, among the commercial, the big commercial three, Oracle, yeah. DB2. Um, we're obviously still trailing Oracle in ter terms of revenues, um, mm. but our revenues have gone up significantly in the last couple of years. And I think, um, you know, in certain uh, aspects, we're, we're, we're no longer necessarily chasing Oracle's taillights. I think both with the column store work that came out as mm -hmm. part of uh, SQL 12 and now at Park PDW SQL Server and now SQL 14, we really are way ahead of Oracle when it comes to column store. And I think our mm -hmm. OLTP engine, um, why it's just you know sh coming out first as part of uh, CTP2 of SQL 14, um, yep. I think, you know, we're on a totally different path than the other people doing um, high-performance OLTP engines. We don't have a separate mm. code base. We don't have a separate API. Um, you know, we're fully integrated into the product. So I actually think from a technology point of view, uh, we're a market leader. Uh, and from a share mm. point of view, um, we're doing extremely well. Um, I think it's one thing interesting is, you know, I, I reflect back my five plus years at Microsoft. When I first joined, um, everybody was worried about the LAMP stack. The you know, the sky is falling. Yep. The sky is falling. MySQL is mm. going to take over. MySQL is not taking over. Um, and, no. um It's a great. Not to say it's not a great product, and it has its uses. But I think enterprises understand that 
um, that systems like uh, SQL Server, Oracle, and DB2 are really where you want to put your really high value mm. data. And yeah, um, you know, we have a lot of competitors in the big data space, uh, and I think we're uh, we'll got some interesting things going on there. But I think uh, I think as a product, you know, I think. I think everybody always feels, you know, we could do more, you know, and yeah. um, it's been a, one of the things that's been really eye-opening for me has been uh, what it means, because uh, I was part of the Vertica startup that the, the Vertica Column Store, I worked on that for a year, mm. it, I was on sabbatical at MIT, and it's it's been really eye-opening to me what it means to ship software to um, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers, and the quality yeah. bar um, is um, extraordinary. And you know, sure, we ship products, you know, we ship bugs in our products, but you know, the, the drive to zero defects at chip is um, just relentless. And the mm. the it's just it's uh, stuff. You know, it, it, it's always it's always a challenge because you're always in order to make ship dates. You're always cutting features that you know some customers would love in order to ensure yeah. that what goes out the door is of super quality, and that has been really that's been fascinating for me to to witness and be mm. part of. Yeah, it's part of that that practical nature of it. The actually, you you mentioned along the way um, Postgres too. I'm just interested in your thought on that one. Um, uh, it, it, I was going to say I'm seeing more of it in recent times than MySQL. So yeah, I think you know it's you know it's it's got a very long history. Um, Mm. Um, you know, it's gone from being written in Lisp when Mike and Mike Stonebreaker and I are, have been acquaintances since uh, uh, more than 40 years, 43 years. Mike and I first became mm. friends, uh, and you know, it's gone from being you know sort of this academic project to really a you know uh, in, in widely embraced, very very uh, nice product um, and. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think you know it's a it's a quite good system. I think of the mm. open source systems, it's by far the, the best. Uh, though I'm sure the MySQL people will ding me for that. Oh yes, I'm <laughs> very very. <laughs> but uh, but I you know I think and you know it's got a you know it was Mike you know Mike really started that. It, the name came from post you know after Ingress and uh, after Ingress. Yeah, yeah and uh, it was Postgres and not Postgres SQL or Postgres SQL. And uh, so, you know, it was Mike's attempt um, to, um, you know, introduce some ideas that he had for Ingress, in particular abstract data types, uh, mm. type extensibility, user-defined functions. I mean, he tried some pretty wild things in terms of yeah. Nova Write Storage Manager and time travel. And, um, mm. and it was just one of Mike's, you know, many really important contributions to the field. Mm. That, um, and it, Great, great, great system. So, but yeah. certainly not a high-performance OLTP engine, uh, if that's what yeah. you're suiting for, and and not really. I mean, through Green Plum, I guess it, there's a scalable um, offering. Mm. Um, it has it certainly has its niche. And, um, oh, look, and and one of the things I think people do like about some of those is that they're able to respond, perhaps more quickly to to some of the change in the industry. I mean, uh, probably the notable thing I keep hearing from a lot of clients at the moment are things like JSON support. Um, and uh, just kind of like we got XML support in 2005 and kind of the industry pretty much moved to using JSON um, yeah, the, the, and, following, you know, the following year. And uh, <laughs> we keep asking, you know, is, is there some sort of native support or something for that? Yeah. So. Well, you know, I think, you know, that's... Uh, uh, I you know I think you know through DocDB I don't know if you're familiar with uh, well I don't know what the public name for that is but you know we have a uh, a, a JSON project uh, that we're working on inside Microsoft mm. you know the XML in SQL Server um, probably widely viewed as a mistake um, yeah yeah it was it was a fascinating addition to the product but right. it, uh, yeah it and they probably felt out of left field at the time yeah yeah and I think you know it's um, you know I think XML as a column type uh, makes a whole lot of sense and some mm. limited support for XPath but to extend the language to do X query complicate the optimizer um, you know, it complicated the code base, and then the world moved on. What? Not that XML isn't still used, and uh, but as you're right, JSON has um, certainly caught on, and 
As part of SQL Server PDW, I'm sure we'll support uh, JSON as part of our big data story. Mm. Um, uh, but what's going to be the next format? And if we go to a lot of trouble exactly. to put J JSON as a column type in, which would be pretty trivial to do, do we then have to run JavaScript, running the Java interpreter inside or JavaScript interpreter inside the SQL engine? You know, uh, it, you know. I, I think I think the probably the thing that would do it is probably even just some native support for functions and things pre-built. But I mean, the thing is, you can roll your own. But uh, yeah, it's more. I think um, I see people like a site I was at yesterday. They were just asking about. Uh, they'd really just want to be able to go insert table, you know, list of columns values. Here's a chunk of JSON. Yeah, that, that's uh -huh. really. Yeah, mm. uh, you know, then you can, you know, you can, as you said, you can roll your own with by having, you know, a, a a table. You know, you can always do this by having a table where uh, you can put the path uh, of the of the JSON field uh, mm. um, in inside column A, and column B is the actual value, and so you've done a vertical sort of a vertical decomposition of. Uh, the table is is it is it pretty? Uh, no, but um, you could embed you know you could conceivably embed JSON inside uh, bar cars. I mean there there are lots of things you could do, but when are we going to add JSON as a column type? Who knows? I mean that's mm, yeah not part of SQL 14. That's all I can really say. No, indeed. What, what's your what's your thoughts on um, chasing standards compliance? Because uh, that, that's another one. What standards? Read, uh, what, yeah, what, exactly. Yeah. What standards? I, I read the Postgres material, and one of the things that they did comment on is the fact that they uh, they chase standards more aggressively than some others. But yeah, uh, that's right. The the standards are pretty weak. Yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd say the every company uh, gives some lip service to standards, but everybody has mm -hmm. their own proprietary programming language. They have their own proprietary APIs. Um, I think you know uh, uh, everybody's uh, you know implements some subset of the standard, and yeah. uh, nobody implements the full standard, and you know people pick and choose. So I'm I'm really it's uh, I think personally I think the standardization effort is off the rails, and I don't think it's ever yeah. it's ever going to really we're not going to get a, all the vendors. It's no vendor's interest to have. Mm. Its product completely compatible with somebody else's product, so, <laughs> unless you're a right unless you're a startup. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Dude. Now, listen, the other one in terms of a little bit of database history, I was watching uh, a session yesterday, and of course they were sort of uh, talking about the fact that not all that many years back, and in fact probably the mid '90s, uh, of course the other big push at the time was everybody was saying object database. Oh yes, I know. That was right before XML, so <laughs> it went just about as far as, you know, yeah, I think it, it's actually, you know, that was, I was part of that. I had a project at the university. I actually spent one year in Paris working on O2. I was part of Objectivity. Jim Gray and I were both on the Objectivity board, advisory board for a long time. I built the storage engine for O2. The last time I actually programmed in, that was in the, in the, in the very late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. It was at mid 90s. Oh, no, no, late 80s, early 90s. And, um, you know, uh, you know, it was driven by the desire to have the type systems of the programming language that you were writing your applications in match the type system of the database system. And, mm. Um, you know, we always traditionally talked about what was we called in the academic community the impedance mismatch that you, know, you had yeah. C as a programming language and you had the ability to do arrays um, as a built-in data type and, and uh, or you had some other language which had sets as a data type. Uh, but, you know, it, it was really motivated and, you know, I think people were motivated by the right thing. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, they had Stonebreaker as an enemy, um, and you know, Mike Mike made it very clear, and it was it was it was interesting. Um, Mike made it really clear that um, you could add. It was easier to add object orientation, um, and this was uh, you know, somebody started that in Postgres, and they did it with Illustra. It was easier to add object orientation, extensible data types to a relational database system than it was to start over from scratch with an object mm. system. And I remember one particular meeting at, at um, 
objectivity where Jim, Jim Gray and I were both on the board and objectivity was started by a bunch of operating system types from Berkeley and uh, they were building, they thought they knew how to build a recovery system. Nobody in the world knew at the time more about recovery systems than Jim. And Jim said, this is not going to work. You're going to have some customers going to corrupt the database. And these guys said, oh, no, no, we're operating system types. So we know better than you. And sure enough, you know, soon after a release, objectivity crashed and corrupted some customer's database. So it was, it was really, it was, the, the idea was good. Um, they, they just underestimated what it took to build a query optimizer, to, that people wanted SQL. They didn't want to do navigation. They didn't want to go back to the codicil days of doing pointer testing. Yeah. Um, and they had forgotten the lessons of history. So, and they got, they, you know, um, you know, the, all the relational vendors, uh, beefed up their product by, with some type of sensibility and user defined functions. And they all went away. So, mm. what well, on that, on that note, actually, it's, I've often seen it sort of commented that it's the idea of somebody ever writing a new operating system from scratch nowadays. It, is because it's such a large effort and it, it would be hard to ever justify doing that. They can't imagine anybody ever doing that. Um, what's your thoughts on database engines? Do you think, we're, are they sufficiently complex now that it's unlikely we'll see too many more substantial ones? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's very unlikely. Um, mm. You know, and I think that it is, you know, you look at the, the well, you you know, Let's sort of, you know, as a as a, a a point to talk about. Let's look at what's happening in the quote unquote big data uh, field mm. because there is the place where people are trying to write a new engine. So we started with MapReduce, and um, I'd encourage the listener to go look at go go Bing or Google what Stonebreaker and I wrote about MapReduce, a giant step backwards mm. uh, to know where I really come from. But, but you know, we started with MapReduce and. And you know, Hive got added, um, uh, and now what we have is we have uh, Hortonworks building a new relational engine. We have Cloudera building a new relational engine from scratch. And, and mm. customers, people realize that you know, MapReduce, in MapReduce, you know, don't get me wrong, the, the scalability and fault tolerance, um, really, really, really a remarkable design and engineering achievement that, that Google did and that that, that Hadoop followed. On with, you know, mm. with their clone, uh, but people don't, you know, managers don't want their people writing low-level map and reduce functions. They want, it, yeah. they, they know that SQL is the right way to go. So now, what, you know, you know, as Hive gained in popularity, we now have Cloudera trying to write, you know, Impala from scratch, um, you know, the, and we have Hortonworks responding with a rewrite of Hive and Stinger, and then this week, Facebook announced their new. Uh, SQL-like language called Presto, and mm. and it will be you know it will be uh, how long will it take for the you know the the Cloudera people or the Hortonworks people to have the set of functionality that a standard relational product have? It'll be years and years and mm. years and years, and yeah, maybe they don't have to do the, the old, all the old TP thing, all the old TP enhancements uh, that. Uh, product like SQL Server or Oracle has. Uh, but, you know, they're going to build a relational engine. Then they're going to discover they need a cost-based query optimizer. Then they're going to go off and spin. Mm -hmm. And building a relational engine is easy compared to building a cost-based query optimizer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and if you have to do updates, you know, I noticed that Presto can't even store the results back into the database. All the results of the query yeah. have to go back. So, uh, you know, I think we will, you know, Maybe we'll get another relational engine at some point, mm. um, you know. But uh, you know, the, it's just there's a lot of code. It's there. a mass. It's a massive undertaking. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, a no. really massive undertaking. And I think, um, you know, I think it, there is there is something to be said about the complexity of the code. And we can just even talk about the X query stuff. At some point, mm. probably we should rip all the X query stuff out of SQL Server. And maybe yeah. it's already happened and I don't know about it, or maybe it will happen, but there, mm. there are probably pieces of SQL Server that rarely get exercised that should be that should be pulled out. And mm. um but I think companies that you know really focused on SQL as 
the main way they're going to do data processing. And until something very different than SQL comes along, I don't think we'll see any engines that that you know, mm. you know, if we go back to the object-oriented paradigm or the XML, people thought XQuery was going to replace relational database systems. Didn't happen. Um, you know, um, you know, and then you go back to the op even the operating system. We have Windows, we have Linux, um, and mm. and you can think about Linux. It, it's pretty remarkable that. Um, somebody did rewrite Unix, um, and exactly. uh, yeah. and you know had built a, a you know great ecosystem around a, uh, uh, a a rewrite of Unix. And why that is, who knows? Uh, you know, maybe because AT and T didn't open source quickly enough. Um, though you know, Berkeley Unix was there. I mean, Bill Joy did it also in Berkeley Unix. I mean, that was basically a rewrite of Unix from yeah. scratch uh, that Bill did um, in the early mid '80s. Um, but yeah, I just don't see, think we're going to see another relational engine. Yeah, scratch. I'm trying to remember the name of the one. Oh, I was teaching at a university myself in the 1980s, and uh, there was also the one that was the Red Book. I'm trying to remember. It was one of the guys that wrote a, a small Unix clone, and it was used in a lot of academic things at the time. But uh, uh, and again, it was just published out and pushed out for free, and it was sort of. But it was great for the university to have something where people could go and try ideas out and uh, and plug that in. Well, and I think you know that's happened. You see, uh, that's really what. Especially Postgres, and to some extent MySQL, Postgres mm. SQL, I should say, and MySQL, uh, but especially Postgres. I mean, I think you look at the number of companies that have taken Postgres and started, you know, products right around them. Great, yeah. great contribution to the field that 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 piece of code uh, exists, um, mm. and maybe that's why you know Facebook put out Presto uh, is they wanted to, uh, you know, sort of. Tell the uh, community, okay, you know, we're truly open source. Um, uh, we're we're going to be the platform to build on for scalable query processing over large mm. amounts of data. Uh, but I must admit, even uh, even there, uh, again, a thing I was noting yesterday, there were talk, uh, saw a forum discussions from some of the uh, the guys building Postgres, and they were discussing whether or not they should have, for example, a planned cache. Uh, and you go, you go, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so, you know that you know, uh, yeah. There's there's stuff for people to do. I mean, I SQL Server PDW doesn't have a plan cache yet, but it runs yeah. has mainly long running decision support queries, and the cost of re you know parsing and reoptimizing mm -hmm. something that's going to run minutes or hours. Yeah, probably not too significant. So I think it really mm. for OLTP applications, obviously plan plan caches um absolutely and stored procs absolutely required. Yeah. What what had me fascinated though is it was actually one of the core people doing development on the product and it it wasn't so much the uh whether or not they had it in the product as yet, but the th the comment that I thought was most telling is he said he wasn't sure what one was, oh. and he was trying to come to a conclusion as to whether whether it was something they should have. And I thought, hmm, okay, <laughs> you know, that, that that sounded like something I thought they might have like considered, uh, shall we say, a long time ago. Yeah, but so. you know, I think there's uh, in the open source community there there's uh, you know. Not everybody in the open source community is familiar with what commercial products, uh, and I think sometimes yeah. they have blinders on um, what commercial products have to offer. I mean, I don't, I, I, I doubt that anybody in the very few people in the Linux community understand how sophisticated Windows Server is, and I don't mean to just yeah. uh, hawking, you know, Microsoft's operating system product, but it, mm. it is a very, it's. It's you know this Windows Server 2012 you know shared storage spaces whatever it's I never remember the official yeah. product name yeah in in it's allowed us in our appliances to get rid of the sand you know we use yeah. you know Windows uh, you know shared volumes uh, we don't have to have a sand anymore we can share volumes among a bunch of nodes in a rack and. I doubt that anybody in the Linux community really uh, is aware of you know advances that have been made uh, on Windows operating systems. I know, mm. you know Windows 8 didn't get a great great reception. Um, I stuck with Windows 7 for quite a while, uh, but uh, you know I think the, the Windows Server uh, 
really does have a lot of pretty unique features. And oh, look, it, it absolutely does. And the thing, I think, the thing that the Linux folk didn't ever really get is they were always focused on the cost of the operating system. And the bottom line is, in any project I was involved with, the cost of the operating system compared to the cost of the project was so irrelevant um, <laughs> that you know I simply wanted an operating system that did all that stuff for me. I, I, I didn't didn't want you know like uh, if you've got a four hundred thousand dollar project, the, the, whether there's a thousand dollars going to an operating system or not is really not the biggest question. You know, it's a you know it's much more what that's going to buy you. Right, and now you know, with frankly, with the move to the cloud, um, you know, the cost, the, the type of operating system is really pretty irrelevant, and even mm. the cost of the database system, um, uh, you know, for those kind of customers that fit in the cloud, and I, you know, we think more and more mm. will, um, uh, the cost of the database system is is, uh, you know, is uh, diminishing as. Mm. You know, you know, and especially compared to the cost, at least in the United States, and I'm sure in Australia, the cost of hiring a top-notch, you know, burden cost of hiring a top-notch developer, um, you know, uh, is you know two, three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars mm. probably burdened and with fringe and et cetera, and you know, you know, yeah, there are some SQL Server licenses that are expensive, but you know, if you have a dozen developers that Cost of database system is probably lost in the noise of the of the project. So, yeah, no, indeed. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Listen, in terms of the lack of awareness in the open source community of all, a lot of what the commercial products do. Do, do the universities bear a, a, a bit of a blame for that? Like I, I had a young cousin who went through a university in the UK and he was so proud that one of the things he'd, he'd learned was an enormous amount of HTML syntax and you know what attributes went with what uh, nodes and so on, or tags and so on. The first day I showed him uh, IntelliSense in Visual Studio, where it just suggested to me what all the, the appropriate ones were. He, he could nearly he, he nearly cried. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you know I think people, um, you know, uh, we we did probably. I mean, and that may have been cost-driven. Uh, it may be, it was mm. definitely, you know, I, I spent 32 years there. We did a lot of Unix stuff, uh, a lot of Linux work, you know, and still to that point. Um, we had, did have some yeah. classes that were on Windows. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, people used uh, uh, editors and, and wrote their code and without modern, you know, development environments. And most students, a lot of students graduated without ever seing a modern development environment. And IntelliSense is, really is pretty phenomenal when you start to use yeah. it. But I think, it, you know, it, that their yeah, academia is somewhat to blame. Um, but it's also uh, maybe uh, Microsoft deserves some blame too because it, it didn't say we're going to, uh, you know, if, I don't think the open. I think the, the aspect of open source wasn't as important as cost, and I think people really were. When you have, when trying to teach, you know, hundreds of thousands of students, and you have, um, you know, uh, lots of, lots of seats, um, and, and, you know, cost cost was an issue, and there were yeah. university licensing agreements, but, um, yep. Yep. I mean, you know, it's it's no different. You go go to any academic department, you find some small fraction using Windows laptops and everybody else using Macs. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't think they're doing it because underneath there's a command shell. I mean, some people are. I think it no, is. no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. There'll be the odd person who does, but yeah, apart from that, yeah, no. So listen, with SQL Server 
2014 then. So what are the things that you're most excited about um, well, in terms of concepts in that? Well, I'm obviously really excited about about the Hecaton, the uh, in memory optop optimized OLTP in marketing speak. Um, mm. So you know, it was a uh, it was a project that I actually um, soon after it was launched as an incubation, I actually managed uh, you know five or six of that of the developer early developers. Uh, um, uh, as we went from sort of conception to actually uh, working prototype until we, and at some point, uh, the, because I'm not a, a straight line dev manager, got taken away from being given to a straight line dev manager. Uh, uh, you know, I think um, it's people, you know, some, some press um, has been, oh, this is just something, you know, Microsoft made up, they really don't have any in-memory OLTP engine. Um, really not the case. Been working on it for five years, um, mm. um, you know, and we decided to do it uh, unlike VoltDB, where um, it was done as a separate database engine. Um, we felt that it was important to integrate it inside SQL Server so that people could easily migrate their applications. It's a V1 product. There are a lot of limitations. Um, it's yep. really focused on OLTP at this point point. Um, I think there's no reason why we can't have it become a great in-memory um, relational engine over time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the first initial focus is OLTP. There are fe features missing. Um, uh, but, you know, we've, we've had one customer, BWIN, which is a betting company, um, mm -hmm. uh, in production um, for, like, almost two years at this point, which is pretty amazing yeah. that we let a customer go production with something that wasn't even CTP1. Um, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, uh, the, the when Hecaton satisfies, you know, whether it, it be for plan, for um, for caching, because uh, there are some people who are just not using it for persistent data, but just using it for caching purposes, uh, I, uh, you know that we call uh, durability of schema only. Uh, so mm. um, I think for for some set of customers it'll really be an extraordinary uh, product. Uh, for some customers yeah. they'll look at it and it will run slower. There are there's no it, there mm. are limitations because scanning a large amount of data uh, the rows in the table are spread all over memory. There and so yep. the the instruction cache and data cache, the, the, excuse me, the data cache uh, in what we call interop mode have a lot of misses. Uh, you know, rows are not stored together uh, uh, inside physical memory. So, mm. um, so there, we don't have parallelism in interop mode against Hecaton tables. Uh, you know, I think for some customers it'll be a, a great experience. For some customers, they'll find it. Um, not useful at all. Uh, there are some customers because of the way we've done it, they they can migrate their hot tables, uh, uh, you know, into Hecaton and leave the bulk of their tables in in SQL Server, uh, you know, clustered indices or even Apollo. You know, I think you know we now have you know an ability to have you know very hot in-memory data. Um, Apollo, you know, column store uh, tables, both in memory and on disk, standard mm. SQL Server tables, uh, and with PDW and Polybase uh, uh, data sitting in HDFS on Hadoop. Um, so I, I, yeah. I think it's 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 going to really blow you know uh, blow the minds of some people. Um, and again, it's you know we did it differently. We didn't. It, it's such you know we could. You know, sometimes I wonder whether we should have built a separate product. Uh, would have been probably easier than, but we really, you know, we wanted to be part of the standard SQL Server release. We wanted people to migrate things. We wanted them to not mm. lose their investment in BI or any of their investments in application programs. That's right, so, yeah. So, so we, we took I, a, I actually think it's a masterstroke, the idea of being able to migrate table by table. Yeah. Uh, because the, as you say, the alternative is you go to a completely separate product, and that whole product is then a complete sink and sw or swim, and the uh, and it must do every single thing you're after in that case, and then the chances of that are very low at this point. Yeah, and I think you know the fact that you know our, you know the same 
you know, uh, high availability me- mechanisms through always on Hadron uh, yep. code name. You know, th- you know the experience. You know, the total customer experience. We're aiming to be very friendly, um, and just people have to understand it's a V1 product, um, and we will. You know, we'll 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 do something, and you know, we'll continue to have uh, you know uh, enhancements, uh, continuous enhancements. The org is very much now on a short-term release cycle rhythm. We, you notice it wasn't it wasn't like yeah. from you know 2000 you know uh, 2005 2000 to 2005. We're now we're two years since the last release. We might be only 12 mm-hmm. months, or um, you know, we certainly will not be three years before. Be, by the next release, and in Azure, yeah. in Azure, we're going to turn the crank really, really quick. And, and so, mm. you know, we're updating Azure cap- SQL Azure capabilities all all the time. So, mm. actually, one of that that's an interesting question too. The uh, because with the Azure ones, the um, there was a discussion beginning of last year. They were sort of quite proud of the fact they'd sort of pretty much merged the code base. And the suggestion was that things would start to appear in there probably even before the uh, the on-premises or uh, box-type product. But um, is do you think the intent there is to still flesh that out properly? Because, uh, I mean, a good example is that uh, there were some wonderful window functions in T-SQL that were added uh, to the on-premises product in 2012. But the connect item where people ask, say, hey, can we have those in Azure and, and the SQL database? Our product actually got closed, saying that they did, didn't see the need to do it, and uh, and which is which is kind of where we were sort of expecting it might have been the other way around. Uh, things might have been tried out there first. Or. Uh, you know, I think uh, we we are now back to to one code base, and mm. um, you know there there are I mean there are even things if you look at the Apollo clustered column indexes, those came out in the appliance before they came out in the box mm. product. Because those yeah. are part of 14, they were not part of SQL 12, and but they mm. appeared in PW V2 in April. And you know, I think um, you know SQL Azure and and SQL Server 12 and 14, the language surfaces are still different. Um, mm. You know, there and and I think you know over time we will get the language surfaces aligned. Um, we will, I mean. PW has a different, slightly different language surface, and so we don't have text indexing in PDW at this point. Mm. Will we add it at some point? Um, I, I think eventually you will see the case that things appear sooner in the cloud than in the box product. But you know, we mm. just right now our focus is getting SQL Azure as 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 cost effective, as stable, as absolutely mm. possible. Um, you know, we're you know, there, the last time I heard, there are 500,000 SQL Azure databases growing at some ungodly number, like mm-hmm. 10 or 20,000 a month. Yep. Uh, you know, it's we're learning to be a service. Uh, there are challenges to being a service. It is. Oh yes. You know, it's like oh, when stuff goes wrong, it's really noticeable, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you see it not just with Microsoft services, but you know, when there's a Gmail outage, Google has outages. Yep. Uh, yeah, the site I was at yesterday, uh, it was basically I was uh, Im- embedded in Amazon Web Services all day yesterday. And uh, actually, what what was intriguing there is that uh, one of the people had considered using uh, SQL Database in Azure, and it was uh, ironically the capabilities of SQL Server in RDS in Amazon there, uh, where they have a managed database service. Uh, one of the reasons they were heading in that direction in that case is be, simply because of the compatibility and capabilities of that. And and I thought there was an amazing irony there that um, <laughs> Microsoft was being beaten by their own product. Don't forget, we're, yeah. we're making money on that product. When oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah no, don't don't be confused. <laughs> and, and, you know, if 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 we if uh, this probably should be off the record, you know, we could be we could probably be more aggressive in squeezing Amazon on price. So, uh, you know, uh, but but you know, but it it's, but it's just I, interesting I that their their managed version of SQL was actually more compatible. Yeah, we know that, and you know, yeah. you know, will we do something to respond? Well, we probably will. You know, we we also, you know, yeah. we give SQL. We we will be glad to sell you an IIS version of SQL Server. 
where we don't manage it for you. Um, but you know, the cloud world is 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 weird. Let's be you know, Oracle has come to Microsoft to allow Oracle. You know, we're going to sell you know people Oracle in Windows Azure. You yes, know, that's amazing. You know, and you know SAP, you know, and it's, um, you know, I think um, people should. One thing that important to keep in mind is if you look at um, the companies that really operate at scale, it's it's Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. I mean, truly, yeah. truly operate, you know, yeah. millions of machines. I think Microsoft is at dozens and dozens of data centers around the world, mm -hmm. and you know. Um, Look at the intersection of people that operate at scale, data centers at scale, and people that have, uh, you know, first-rate relational database products. The, the intersection is pretty small, and uh, you know, sure, Google has BigQuery, but nobody's going to run their OLTP workload on, on BigQuery. No, they're not. Um, and you know, we're probably a little bit late to the cloud uh, business, but. We're learning. We're getting better. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually a ping. I run a small SQL Azure database, a uh, small database for a swim club. And I used to mm -hmm. have an on-prem Windows Server box. I'd have to do the patches. I'd like the DBA and the system admin for this thing, as well as the application developer. Um, you know, and when SQL Azure came out, I, you know, it's a small database, uh, just manages accounts. Um, you know, I stopped worrying about patch, you know, patching SQL Server. I stopped yep. worrying about patching Windows. Uh, focused on the on the application development. And yeah, there's some challenges like losing, you know, losing connections. We were having to yes. rewrite every single thing to make sure the connection is still alive. What a pain. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> uh, and um, it's a it's kind of you know sometimes you know it's gonna for people who've made a living managing SQL Server instances. Mm. Um, the, the future could be challenging for them because exactly um, there are some applications which will never move to the cloud. Uh, healthcare in the United States is probably one of those because of HIPAA regulations. Um, mm -hmm. um, some banking applications will probably never move to the cloud. But the, the the bottom line is when you go look at one of these machine rooms that we run or Amazon runs or Google runs and. You know, you got one or two people running a hundred thousand servers and patching them. Um, yep. You know, uh, it's just you know, uh, there's going to be. I was skeptical for a long time, but I think there's going to be more and more people saying, you know, it's just more cost effective to just let yep. someone else manage the hardware. Oh, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been a complete convert for a long time, yeah. and uh, I, in fact, I, I think the idea of offering a platform as a service, the just having a service endpoint that talks to SQL, I mean, that, that just suits me down to the ground. But the, in fact, uh, I was a bit disappointed with um, our reporting services in that they've now sort of nominated that the platform version of that is is going away in favour of people going back to running VMs instead. And uh, and I, I mean that was a challenging service. It, it it didn't have. I think the the pricing and licensing was wrong. I think the the functionality was wrong, things like that. But it was just uh, just seemed a pity that they didn't sort of push on and try and turn it into a better platform offering, uh, rather than just saying, "Hey, you know, uh, go and run it in a VM." Because uh, I, I really think that sort of platform direction is much more where we need to be heading. Oh, interesting, interesting. I, you know, I I think you know I sometimes I mean personally I sometimes wonder why we didn't push. The IAS, uh, and, you know, the and, you know RDS maybe version of that, mm. but, you know, because uh, you know, uh, you know, we went the pass route, um, and it, and there are some challenges in terms of packing. You know, we have some company, we literally have some customers with thousands and thousands of SQL Azure instances, and it is. Yep. Um, you know, one of them's in Australia. Uh, mm. uh, I'm not going to name names because they might get in trouble. Mm. But you know, one of them is in Australia, and, and uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard getting every. You know, and you have customers when you're doing a pass offering. You have some bad actor customers that consume all the resources um, on an instance. Mm. Um, um, whereas if you, you put everybody in VM, you have more more control over that. And you don't try to get mm. scale through. To a pass offering, it, I, I, again, I think it's you know it's it's a 
it, it, if looking back, you know, I've been in this business, database business, almost 40 years now, and mm. um, I think. You know, when I first started teaching, we taught people codicil database systems, and yeah. at that point, you could run Ingress on a PDP, you know, PDP eleven forty five or eleven seventy. And I think, and the, we did, yeah. and we did, and I think, you know, the shift now from on prem to cloud is is as big as the shift from codicil to relational. And I think, yeah, I completely agree. And I, you know, who know who knows what what it will look like in ten or fifteen years, but. Um, and you know we're certainly not uh you know providing a perfect service and but we're certainly putting a lot of focus on our on our failings and and, mm. and we we think it's really um it's really important to do a really really bang up job on uh, yeah. providing a service and, as i said i i see these things as a, a set of services and i just look at the rest of the platform and it's morphing into just a whole series of different surfaces and uh, services, and I, I think that is a, a really, really interesting right. direction. But the, I suppose, in terms of the de development of the product, then now I would say in 2014, uh, I must have been out of. I look at all the features coming in 2014. To me, the clustered column store index, uh, the uh, later version of the Apollo stuff, the right. that's the one that actually really appeals to me. Well, maybe uh, you're a data warehousing person, not an OLTP yeah. person. What can I say? <laughs> You know, I I, 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 I agree. Uh, I think you know, for data warehousing people, I mean, we've seen in PDW. So you know, my lab mainly works on the parallel database appliance, and that's where most of the focus of my lab has been. Because um, I'm a long-term parallel database, I like to ship it as an appliance and touch it. And uh, you know. Uh, we've seen, you know, that came out and that was available in PDW V2, which shipped in April this year. And, you know, uh, no, there are not thousands of PDW appliances out there, but the, the customers that um, are using PDW for the data warehousing, um, we're, the cluster column index has been like, you know, a huge performance boost for those customers. And, you know, it's it it has made us very performance competitive. Uh, maybe you know, with Teradata. I mean, we still have there's still places where we're not competitive with Teradata uh, in terms of manageability. And you know, Teradata has been in this business since the mid '80s, so they really are, have a super super product. Um, but you know, the cluster column index of the customers and the data warehousing on PDW that have seen it are just they're in, you know just super happy with the performance. And yeah. when we get it, we bring it, I mean, the people have played with CTP2 and on uh, SQL Server 2014. Yeah, it's going to, we got it, we got a great, and, and mm. you know, we've been working on it a while. It took us two or three releases to yeah. really get it totally right, but uh, two releases, I yeah, guess. Yeah, well, that's it. I, I I look at the 2012 one and the non the non clustered column store indexes. Uh, uh, that kind of left me cold. I mean, there, yeah. there are a couple of spots where you could sort of use it, but an updatable clustered column store index completely yeah. different story. Yeah, you know, that that's a that's a world of goodness. And I just note to me, it feels like. Uh, I, I actually think these compression technologies are probably the biggest driving force at the moment. I, I look at this and we seem to have gone from the days when uh, memory was limited and everything would live on disk and you just bring into, mem into memory the things that you're working on at the time. But the, the push now seems to be to just compress the life out of everything and if it then fits in memory, you can just do everything by brute force and, and everything is much simpler. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's also, you know, we're... Our, you know, the trend has been that um, you know the, we have, in some sense, excess CPUs on our hand, and we can afford, mm. the CPU, you know, in in terms of um, we can afford the cycles to do the decompression, and you know, it it, it, uh, it has enabled us, you know, the compression has enabled us to fit more memory. It's enabled us to cut the number of disk IOs. Um, you know, I I, uh, mm. but yeah, I think you know. Does it parallelize well that decompression? Because I'm guessing it would across lots. Of, oh yeah, yeah. Because all the co col columns are columns are are you know are compressed individually. You know, columns are stored and yeah. And, and, and so yeah. when we do get eighty and hundred core procs or whatever, then that actually lends itself already, really well. We're already there. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. HP yeah. DL, HP DL nine eighty. You know, that's. Uh, 
10, I mean, the, the 580 is what, four-way by eight, five-way is maybe 32-way, yeah. um, and the DL980 is, uh, I don't know, 80-way or 160-way, so, uh, and for not very much money, yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the single-box SMPs are just, that HP has been producing uh, are really, really superb, superbly engineered boxes, and, you know. Yeah. No, indeed. Um, and so, do you think there is a time? That, are the databases heading to eventually be like a commodity? I, I, I sort of. Uh, or do you? No, think because we'll always be able to charge commodity. money for it. It's not good. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, actually, I mean, for example, in the case of T-SQL, there seems to be. I, I keep getting this sort of feeling that there's a lot of people in the uh, development areas seem to think T-SQL is sort of like done or something like that, you know. Um, and I just sort of wonder your thoughts on, uh, do you see this still being an area where you think there'd be significant things evolving? So like, for example, in 2014, it's just interesting, there's not a single T-SQL enhancement. Um, do, you, do you imagine we're still going to see much in the way of the language itself evolving? Uh, you know, I think... Uh, and again, I really cannot speak. Uh, I, yeah. I don't really know what people have in mind, and I wouldn't pretend. But I think mm -hmm. you, I, I would, I would say, you know, going back to one of your early questions, um, might we do JSON as a column type at some point, mm. possibly? Um, but I think you know, right now the organization is focused on performance, um, you know, high availability, uh, performance through both Epicon mm. and Apollo. And cloud, and I think you know yep. the any resources that we might have put into expanding the language surface uh, mm. uh, are are being put into improving our cloud offering. And yeah. I think until until we get to the point where the cloud offering is um, um, you know uh, is highly competitive, I, I don't think mm. I think it'll be a while before we go back to. Uh, Thinking about language surface, um, mm. um, and I don't. Do you think it's changed for Oracle? Do you think that, that anything has changed? On yeah, that? look, I, I think it does a bit. I, I, I suppose one of the uh, one of the things that does concern me a bit. I spend a lot of time with software houses, and when they don't see uh, the, the development surface, you know, in terms of how do I build better or simpler application, more that sort of thing, uh, then. I do worry that they start to see there's a bit of like you know my grandfather's database sort of thing you know and uh, and I just wonder is is there a need to somehow retain some I don't know coolness factor or something um, because I just find a lot of the developers uh, you know that I think one of the things they're looking at is not just you know how do I cut the costs or how do I uh, at the back end or how do I do better high availability they're kind of interested in the you know uh, what are you doing to make me able to write code better or simpler or, you know, those sorts of questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, I guess, you know, I'd like to know more about what they'd, they'd like. I think, you know, we're, mm. we're also very focused on, uh, uh, through the BI tools, giving, uh, through PowerView and Power Query, um, you know, giving a really first-class end-user experience, and maybe mm. that's maybe that's what the developers are feeling that we're trying to make it, you know, to enable users through think think these advanced analysis tools embedded in Excel. We're trying to cut them out of the mm. loop. I don't, I, um, you mm. know, I think. Um, yeah, I, I really, you know, I, there's not much mm. I can say to respond to that. Yeah, no, know. indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I yeah. think it was more just around the yeah the idea that the language has become a fairly. I mean, there's advantages in the language becoming a fairly. Yeah, it's also target, target. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, indeed. I think you know we could, we might be better off deprecating some things like XML yes. um, and XQuery. Uh, um, Actually, what's know. what's your thoughts on CLR integration? I suppose while I've got you on that sort of topic because I know it was incredibly topical when it appeared it always felt to me that if they were actually doing it they didn't take it far enough and uh and now it's kind of caught in a funny limbo land um um yeah i it, it, again you know i think uh driving it further would be would be great but I, again i you know we've got x amount of resources um 
you know, we're putting those resources into the areas of performance uh, and and cloud. Um, mm. And no, I'm you know, wondering more in terms of uh, should it be a candidate to come back out again? Uh, oh, I don't. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't. Mm. I, I I wouldn't think that that's something. I mean, I've never heard me discuss taking CLR integration back out. Yeah, because so, yeah. I must admit, when I look at it, one of the I, I actually thought the ability to build data types was kind of an interesting one when it appeared. But the thing that seemed most missing to me was the ability to build a custom index type based on uh, on the data type. So I had uh, people who had uh, Oracle data capsule projects and things, and, and they were sort of interested in storing, you know, maybe different things to your typical OLTP, but they were looking at storing sort of like a, a chemical chemical. Yeah. Uh, properties yeah. and looking at yes uh, re reactions and yeah. so on and uh, and it was sort of interesting the whole idea that you know again if you go to store something a little more complicated the unless you can sort of index it appropriately yep. uh, that and it was interesting that at the time they said oh no, no no I don't think you need that capability but it was interesting that when they then used it themselves to build the spatial data types which right. I thought they did an astonishingly good job of they immediately introduced their own custom index type yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to support the you, spatial. <laughs> you know, I, you know, and that was certainly the motivation for when one of the motivations for when Mike started the Postgres project was. Uh, yeah. And there was a data structure developed called Just for Generalized Index Structure or something like that. I can't remember. Mm. Joe Hellerstein was part of this effort. And, and I know the Postgres it, one. That's wickedly complex. Yeah, it, yeah, and I, yeah. you know, I think the challenge is it's one thing to do extendable indexes um, uh, in a read-only setting, uh, but mm -hmm. to do extendable indexes in a uh, a setting where you've got to worry about updates is really from it, it, it's just hard for users to get right, and I, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, so. Yeah, I, you know, again, it'd be really nice to be able to, uh, you know, to have not only extendable types but extendable indices. Mm. Um, I don't, I, I don't. Again, I don't hear anybody talking about. That's just not on the. Oh yeah, know, no, I, I can't imagine yeah. it's even on the right. Yeah, it's not on anybody's radar screen at this point. So, what what keeps you excited on a daily basis now in terms of things coming up? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, we're, I've been, most of my team has been, uh, what, what can I talk about? Okay. So there's some things I can't yeah. talk about because we haven't announced them. Um, uh, as I said earlier, my, my team has, you know, I have a very small team. There are only eight of us. Uh, um, and we've been very, uh, involved with the SQL Server PDW appliance team uh, since that uh, the data language acquisition happened. We were instrumental in the AU3 release, which brought cost-based query optimization to PDW. And then mm. we were working on releasing the second version uh, of what we call uh, Polybase, which is integration of PDW with Hadoop. Um, we shipped mm -hmm. the first version of that as part of the April uh, PWv2 release. We're putting in the finishing touches on um, the AU1 release, which will um, allow you allow the system to push predicates uh, into Hadoop as as jobs. So Polybase, for those of you not familiar with it, um, basically it extends. Uh, it has a notion of external table and users through PW and uh, can create an external table over data that sits in Hadoop. Um, and you can use a standard T-SQL interface to query data sitting in Hadoop. You can join data in Hadoop with data in a uh, standard SQL Server table. You can join, um, you know, two Hadoop tables. Uh, and and other other companies have this notion of an external table, uh, but we've taken things a little bit further in that if you have a, um, a PDW appliance and you connect it to a large Hadoop cluster, well, actually, and you write a query with a predicate over or some function over uh, data in Hadoop, will actually push that predicate as a MapReduce job. Um, mm. You know, and this is real different than what Oracle's done with its external tables. And so we're trying to provide a very, very high-performance T-SQL compatible 
uh, interface to including SQL Server semantics, which is why we don't compile into Hive. Uh, um, uh, interface to uh, big data. So companies that have yeah. um, SQL Server installations and Hadoop installations can combine data from both worlds um, and get business value out of it. Standard BI tools work, blah, blah, blah. So getting, you know, that's, uh, we're just sort of finishing um, this, the, what we call the AU1 release of the V2 uh, version of mm. PW. So, that's great. It's exciting to see, you know, customers are using it in all sorts of different ways. Some uh, companies that are required to keep uh, data online um, uh, for auditing purposes. They're they're rolling monthly data out into into Hadoop, um, and yet they're still able to run their reports um, on, mm. on on really cold data. So think of Hadoop as yeah. uh, uh, some people are using it to cleanse you know cleanse data before it gets loaded into the appliance. Um, so I see you know there's been a lot of Really positive feedback on that, and um, you know, an open question is when when we'll bring it to the cloud, when we'll bring it to the box product. These are all questions mm. we're trying to trying to answer. Yeah, um, no, I do. So and listen, so the past the past summit or the past summit, the uh, uh, you seem to have single handedly turned uh, the morning keynotes into something that people want to attend, uh, which is great. So that's that's been fairly recent. Um, but the where might people see you upcoming anytime or anything else coming up in the near in the near future? <laughs> One a year of those is plenty, and I'm one a not, year. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, those talks. I don't know the people. I know they've been very well received, and it's I'm very appreciative mm. of the audience. It's a wonderful group to speak to, and unlike a bunch of undergraduates today, eight in the morning or nine in the morning. They're, yep. they're not all out there uh, updating their Facebook status. Um, nope. They are tweeting. They're, they're spending too much time tweeting and not yeah. time paying attention. But those talks take me two or three months of my year to actually prepare those talks. Mm -hmm. And uh, between conception of the talk and you know what's going to be in the talk to the PowerPoint, uh, they're enormously uh, time-consuming. So mm. one a year is... All, funny, yeah. uh, one a year is all I can take, and and they're very stressful. Um, not the presentation part. I I have I've discovered it's no different talking to five thousand people than five hundred people. Uh, That's right. It's no different uh, at all. And but the the expectations are very high, and making sure that the expectations are met is a challenge. So one a year, uh, and I. I have no ideas for next year. I'm not sure I'll do one next year, but so far I have no ideas. And, um, if I'm going to do another one, I better start thinking of an idea soon. So. <laughs> That's good. Well, listen, thank you so very much today for your time, David. That's uh, been most interesting. Oh, yeah, it's really it's been fun talking, and um, you know, I appreciate the interest um, in Microsoft and SQL Server, and uh, uh, you know, I'm always interested in new ideas of things that we should be doing in the product so I encourage your listeners yeah. if they've got or they have rants they want to send to me pass them on and I'll pass them on the <laughs> send them on as well. so I'm um, you know negative feedback is always appreciated because it can always yeah. improve our products yeah it's funny uh, actually the uh, when they talk about science it was uh, uh, I saw someone the other day commenting uh, about a scientist must have been upset when he was uh, shown to be wrong on something, and I, and I always think any time a scientist is shown to be wrong, they just love it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you know I, th yeah. I think you know, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it's it's part of being doing science is sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Thank you so much, David. You bet. Have a good day. Indeed. Bye.